0: Thank you so much. Well, it's a pleasure to be here this morning in the house of the Lord. Um, So good to just gather as the family of God. Um, But yeah, we're going to dive right into the Word. Um, I'll be speaking from Psalm 91. Uh, So if you could turn there in your Bibles. And for the slides, I'll be uh, in the ESV translation Yeah, and I, I just want to speak from the psalm for no other reason than I like the psalm. <laughs> it's, a, it's an exciting one, and I think sometimes it's good for us as just a family, you know, without any agenda, without any ulterior motive or whatever. It's just, let's just gather around the Word of God and enjoy it together. Uh, it's, an amazing, it's an amazing psalm. I love it. It's, it's beautiful. It's exciting. It energizes uh, me. So I'm just going to read through the psalm, and then we'll, we'll see what the Lord has to speak to us. is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked." Verse 14, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Amen. So, yeah, even in just uh, worship this morning, I just felt such a, I don't know, sweet spirit. The sweet spirit of God's presence. Just a piece of God. And, uh, you know, many of us may be coming with different worries or burdens or circumstances or challenges. Uh, but the word of the Lord this morning is that He is our refuge. That we can take refuge in the shadow of His wings. And uh, the Lord has been... By the way, I just, I just felt like during worship I should make a plug for Saturday night prayer... I even felt like, oh, last night was so just restorative to my soul, and uh, I even feel like what you see, you know, we only see what happens like during worship on on Sunday morning, but I even feel like the, the same spirit of the Lord, the sweetness of just the peace of Christ dwelling here this very morning, even continuing from last night, I would really encourage you to I just thought of a phrase last night, never say no to Saturday night prayer. (laughs) It's just, you know, because sometimes you're feeling tired and you're just like, oh my goodness, my Saturday was so busy, but, you know, Danielle and I went out last night and in faith, and it's always such a good time, and I just feel just at the the start of this message during worship, just the peace of Christ is just going to wash over some of us this morning with some of our worries, some of the things that we've been asking about uh, to the Lord and saying, Lord, when will you come through on this? When will I see the promises that you've spoken to me over the years that the peace of Christ is just going to wash over this morning uh, through the Word? Uh, But for whatever reason, um, this chapter, and specifically this first verse, of he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. It's just I've just been obsessed with it. Uh, I guess it's a good thing to be obsessed with Scripture. But it's a little bit strange. Like over the past couple of months, it's just been ringing through my, everywhere where I walk. It's just he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And even now I just feel it just springing up inside of me. And, you know, I believe that the Lord was speaking to me about some personal things. And so I will share a testimony later on. But I think maybe also the Lord wants to speak to some of us this morning about learning to take refuge in Him. You know, because, again, we, we come with all sorts of difficulties and challenges. But especially in American culture, there are so many different options that we have to take refuge in, Uh, especially in a culture like America, there's so many programs, there's so many activities, there's so many church (laughs) events, you know, there's the the government, there's institutions, there's school, there's classes, there's self-help books that you could read. We have every opportunity to take refuge in something else besides the refuge of the Lord. But out of all of those options, there's only one option that comes attached with the promise of God, and that is the refuge of God. God is the only refuge that we have that will never disappoint us, that will never let us down emotionally, that will never leave us hopeless. But it, it, it's, it grieves my heart to think about you know, myself, and, and, and many of us can relate with this, Where even though God's refuge, we have the promise of God's refuge to protect us and to keep us and to comfort us. We're so quick to look for other refugees. We're we're so quick to look for other shelters or other options. So I want us this morning at least to start uh, by taking a look at the incredible promises in the psalm. Uh, And they're just so amazing, even though it's just I mean, it's just one short psalm out of the entire Bible, but it's just chock full of promises. And it it really is a summary of a lot of the promises throughout the entire Old and New Testaments. But um, just starting with verse 1, and I'll just kind of read some of these verses as we go through. uh, We're promised that for the one who dwells, meaning the one who chooses to live in the shelter of the Most High... We're promised that that person will learn to abide in the Lord's shadow. Now, a lot of uh, the Old Testament kind of repeats ideas, but in this verse, we actually see kind of a progression. So you kind of make it a habit of living in God's house, and he turns it from kind of a spiritual or physical exercise of... You know, kind of okay. I'm going to choose to live under God's roof today, and He begins to transform your heart until the into the place of abiding. Which abiding goes beyond just living; it goes to the place of resting and finding restoration for your soul. And as you try to go to God's house over and over and over again, He transforms your heart to where you're resting and abiding. And it's it's not only just a shelter anymore, but it's the very shadow of the Almighty. That word shadow, again, a shelter I think of like a tent or a house. But a shadow is just so inviting. It just speaks of the comfort and the peace of God, doesn't it? I, I, you know, it's kind of a mystery, like what, is the, like what is the shadow of the Lord? But whatever it is, I want to be there. Sign me up. I want to be there. But to me, there's a couple of things that the shadow of the Lord speaks to me about. I just love this image. But number one, I think that the shadow of the Lord speaks about the nearness of God's presence. The the nearness and the tenderness of God's presence. You know, for instance, if you think about uh, Acts 5, where... People were running to fall under fall in Peter's shadow. Like, why were they doing that? They were trying to get as close to Peter as possible. So, to me, when, when I think about God's shadow, it's like, I want to learn to abide, not just in the shelter that you provide, but as close to you as I can possibly get. I want to experience the closeness and the nearness of God's presence on a daily basis. It's like that, that woman that was trying to touch Jesus' clothing. If only I could grab the hem of Jesus' garment, then I would be healed. That's what it means to go from a, a dwelling in his shelter to coming to a place of abiding in his very shadow. I want to be near with God on a daily basis. The, the church fathers used to actually compare this to... Um, The story of Moses in Exodus 33, where uh, Moses, you know, asked to see God's glory. And and God said, you cannot, no man can see my face and live, but I can arrange a way for you to see me. I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock, and then I'm going to let my glory pass you by, but you'll only see my back. And the church father said that, that that Moses the closest that Moses could get to God was to to see his shadow as God's glory passed by. Right, I want to be one that dwells in the nearness of God's presence. But more than that, you know the shadow to me, I think the reason why I've been obsessed with this verse is it just speaks to the comfort and the shade of God's presence, that it's like sitting under a tree and just resting there. It's a place, you know, for the Israelites, obviously, when they were, you know, walking around in the desert and it's super hot <laughs> and, and, you know, you're looking for water, that place of shade, I mean, it's such comfort and such peace. And actually, it's interesting. Um, I don't know, I just feel continually feel the Holy Spirit speaking just peace over us. It's not something that came up to me when I was prepping for this message but when I think about the shadow of the Lord is God I want to be able to rest in that place of peace and and I, when I think about the shadow of the Lord like why is it that we continually choose to go outside I mean there's nothing more attractive and inviting than the shadow of the Almighty But we continually go after other solutions. We continue to go after other shelters. But meanwhile, there's an invitation to every single one of us this morning. That if we learn to dwell in his shelter, he's going to bring us to a place of peace and resting. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the challenges and turmoil, he's going to bring us to a peace of just resting in his shadow. But uh, from verses th- 3 and thir- to 13, the promises actually get uh, now more, more literal. And um, let's just take a look at some of these promises. Verse 3, it says, He will deliver us from the snare of the fowler and from the pestilence, meaning disease. That God has the power to deliver us from everything, that every pitfall that we might face. Every trap and snare and sin and temptation that Satan lays out for us, God has the power to deliver us. You know the shadow of the Almighty? The Almighty, the the name of God, El Shaddai, it means that there's nothing he cannot do. It means that he's all-powerful. He has the power to deliver us from every trap and snare and pit. He has the power to deliver us from sickness and plague and destruction. Now, this doesn't, you know, this doesn't mean that we'll never get a cold. But what it does mean, I mean, people have, I was reading commentaries, and there's people that took this promise literally by faith, and they sacrificed themselves in the midst of, like, the Black Plague, or outbreaks of cholera and disease, and they said, you know, in the midst, I'm trying to minister to these people, in the midst of all of this disease and destruction, I will trust you that you have the power to deliver me. And then actually, this psalmist takes it even to the next level. I mean, there's so much. Okay, so verse 7 He says, "A 1,000 may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not even come near you. And not only will you kind of conquer in the midst of battle with all, all these, you know, in the midst of warfare and soldiers... It's not even that you will win the battle, but it's not even going to touch you. You know, this world is looking for a community of people that is not even touched by the shaking and the turmoil and the warfare that's going around in the world around us. It, it makes me think about Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they, were, right, when they came out of the fire, what happened? The, the king examined them, and they were not even touched. Their hair, not even a hair of their heads, was even touched, Now, you think about these promises, right? And there's so many more. If you think about these promises and how great they are, (laughs) why is it that that faith doesn't come through in a daily basis? Like, why do our lives not match up with that confidence of, even if there's thousands of people, dying around me, it's not even going to touch me. Like, where is that confidence in our lives in the Lord's promises? Well, um, I think one of the things is that um, as people, I think we have difficulty applying the promises of God to ourselves and our own personal circumstances. And there's a couple of reasons why. But you know if you you might be able to sing songs and just true or even for me when i'm preaching about it i feel 100% confident when we're in a group setting you know we sing the songs we read the books we listen to the sermons but then there's kind of a a barrier where it's difficult to apply these promises to ourselves right um and and one of the things that i was thinking about is that you might think well I'm not in the midst of a warfare. You know, there's not thousands of people dying around me. So, you know, does this, you know, I will, I can trust in God that he can deliver me from this battle. But can he, can he really deliver me from the stress of work? (laughs) We have this kind of weird way when we read the Bible, we think, well, this was like for the people of Israel or this was for like, King David, who is out there fighting with a sword, but this doesn't apply to my daily circumstances. I want to make it clear that the promises in Psalm 91 are a 100% money-back guarantee for anyone who decides, I will take shelter in the refuge of the Lord. It's not just for the Old Testament. It's not just for a soldier on the battlefield. It applies to my finances. It applies to my marital conflict. It applies to sickness. It applies to all of these things that we face, that these promises apply. And I, I just, it's kind of comical, but think about this. In verse 13, it says, you will tread on the lion and the snake. That is not a literal, like... Like, I shouldn't go around and start, like, stomping on some lions at the zoo. <laughs> like, that's not what this is talking about. Like, and, and you might think maybe the Israelites were always in the midst of battle, and that there's always thousands of people dying around them. But even the Israelites didn't go around just stepping on lions. That's not, the point of this psalm, I say this to say this, the point of this psalm is not that, oh, I'm going to take these, these promises, literally and specifically, just these ones. Like, okay, I'm not gonna be afraid of the arrow and the plague, but I am gonna be afraid about my security at, in, in my work. Right? That's not how this worked. The whole point of this psalm was that they were speaking to the Israelites, it, it was a way that the Israelites could understand this one point that no matter what the circumstance or obstacle is no matter how mighty or difficult or dangerous or wicked the obstacle might seem god promises victory over them all that is the central point of this psalm is that we do not have to fear in the midst of any trial that we face it's not just about you know the arrow and you know the plague and the thousands of people dying it's it's a way that this psalm is teaching us no matter what the circumstance might be is it anxiety is it depression is it doubt is it you know attacks from the enemy this psalm is all inclusive of all of those challenges now, I, I just want to kind of talk about how, again, that point of, for some reason, we find it very difficult to apply the promises of God to our own lives. And um, I, I recently um, listened to this talk by this Christian psychiatrist professor and um, he was talking about anxiety and depression, and I I felt like I really learned a lot. It really helped me kind of understand these situations better. Um, Now, I'm not a professional, so, you know, this this is just my observation of these things. But one of the very sobering or tragic things that I kind of noticed listening to this is, you know, depression is not just like, you have clinical depression or not, right? It's kind of a progression, right? So he was kind of talking about how as you progress in depression, and I've experienced this myself, I've never experienced like clinical or major depression or anything like that, but I, there's many of us can relate with those seasons where we're feeling blue, where we're feeling down, we're feeling hopeless, but as that progresses because of, you know, psychological things, physical things, whatever it might be, people start to lose touch with reality. So you might see, like, and, and it hap- I struggle with this too. Like, in those times when I'm feeling blue, all of a sudden I begin to lose touch with the reality of God's promises. Right? And, and it just becomes difficult. And actually, when it's extended out, it can even be to the point of delusions. And that's at the major, when you need to be hospitalized, is you, become, you lose all touch with reality. And I think that kind of speaks to how our hearts, when we're struggling with stress, anxiety, when the finances aren't coming through, when we're just, you know, we know something's wrong uh, in the way in our emotions, there's brokenness, that it becomes harder and harder to, to lock in with the reality of God's promises. And we start trading the truth for a lie. But the promises of this psalm apply regardless of our emotional state. This is very important. I'm not saying just kind of buck up and tough it up. That's not what I'm saying. But in the midst of that, the the, the, The the depression and the anxiety and the fear, even if we don't feel it in our hearts, we lock in to the reality of God's promises. It's a double-edged sword, actually, because in the charismatic church, there's a way in which we think that the promises of God are just whatever make me feel good. It's not about feelings. Right? There's this kind of name it and claim it. You know, I... I claim happiness because it makes me feel good. I claim joy because it makes we claim those things by the authority of Scripture, not based on how we feel. And the other side is if you know we let like, I rebuke, you know, I rebuke fear in the name of Jesus. I rebuke poverty in the name of Jesus. That's great as long as it's rooted in the promises of Scripture. It's not contingent on how we feel. In fact, one of the things that this professor said that was very sobering, and I want to be sensitive, but the, the truth of the matter is things like anxiety uh, and fear for our future, those are actually logical things without hope in God. Meaning this again, we, we can't just go around saying, I, I, I refuse, you know, I refuse to believe in fear just because we feel like it. Without the hope of the gospel, right? Without the hope of the gospel, we have no basis for believing anything will turn out well, but with the promises of the gospel, with the promises of Psalm 91, we have a hundred percent money back guarantee. That we can stand firm in the midst of shaking. Again, I'm not saying this to just you know just clamp down on your emotions. It's just just grit your teeth and work your way through depression. It's a, it's very difficult in those times, but but the thing where I draw hope, even this past week, you know, thinking about finances, all these different things even if i don't feel like the promises apply to me i say god i choose to trust in your promises not because they make me feel good but because they're true not because you know i have a positive self you know self esteem but it's because jesus has bought me with his blood that's how i have confidence is the truth of god's word now let's be careful here this psalm doesn't mean that that you should just go out and try to find ways to get hurt. <laughs> go find the lions and the snakes <laughs> you know there's there's cults that start you know from mark sixteen you know they, they'll attach snakes to themselves, you know because we won't be touched or they'll drink poison that's a, That's not a good way to read the psalm. This psalm is not saying that um you know, God's going to protect us from every single sickness, or He's never gonna let us suffer. In fact, one of the promises of the Bible that may not make us feel so good is that there's a promise to those that are faithful that we will suffer. So it's not a guarantee that, oh yeah, I'm just gonna go about my day, name it and claim it, and I'm just never gonna suffer. You know, it may seem like I have a cold, but I don't. That's an illusion. I just rebuke it. You know, that's not how this works. But there's, there's two ways that we can think about, you know, two ways that we can kind of help us interpret this psalm. So, you know, number one uh, way to understand the psalm is this, that it's, it's, it's the, because we also don't want to go the other way. So basically charismatics on the one hand say, I just name it and claim it. And then you have the more reformed Christians that say, you know, I can never pray for healing, right? You don't want to end up on either side. So the the point of this psalm, and by the way, I kind of took this part from a reformed commentator, so this is not just (laughs) crazy, but it's kind of the, it's the habit and it's the continual work of God to often deliver us from disease and sickness and destruction and death, That, that even if we we don't feel delivered in every single situation, that it is the character of God to continually take care of us. I mean, he even has, in the psalm, he even has angels guarding our steps. Again, I mean, I just think, like, why would we trust in our own resources if there's angels that are assigned to protect us? Right? But it's the continual, it's like the habit, it's the joy of God to deliver us. So we don't want to just kind of toughen up and say, yes, Lord, I will suffer for you, and not expect that he will deliver us. But, number two, so number one, he continually, he loves to deliver us from circumstances. But number two, if it is his will to let us suffer we can be confident that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. So it's those two things. That it's that, is that confidence that he will deliver me, but even if I don't see that in the physical realm, I'm confident that it's working out for my good because I love him. But um, one important point here with this psalm is that even think about that verse uh, in, in Romans 8 that I just quoted. God works all things together for the good of who? Not everyone. It's for those who love him. This psalm starts off by saying, He who dwells. It, it, it's not for everyone, okay? It's not just for everyone. That's, again, that's the name it and claim it. Actually, Danielle and I were talking this morning about um, someone that used to go to our, our school, and they, they're like a life coach. Now, okay, they're not believers, okay, so they're a life coach, but they have like, you know, just kind of that same kind of like, you know, if you want, like, you know, if you want success, just go out there and grab it. But it's like this very new-agey thing, and we cannot let that infiltrate into the charismatic church. It's not just for everyone out there, you just, you know, just grab it from the clouds. <laughs> that's, that's not how it works. It's he who dwells in the shelter will abide. It's not just everybody. Right? And, and it's actually, it would, be, it would be not kind of God to just let us get whatever we want as we do whatever we want. In fact, it's a way that sometimes God will discipline us. By not delivering us, so that we learn to dwell in his shelter. And um, just to go through this, you know, the different verses here. So it says, He who dwells, verse 2 says, I will say to the Lord, right? It's active. I will say, I choose to trust. My God in whom I trust. It's a choice that we make on a daily basis. Do we choose to trust in the Lord or do we choose to trust in worldly circumstances? Right. It says, uh, verse 9, it says, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. It says, because there is a condition. You make the Lord your dwelling place on a daily basis as a habit and as a choice. That's when these promises apply. It's not just name it and claim it. Verse 14, because he holds fast to me in love, there is an active part that we play to say, Lord, on a daily basis, I will come to you over and over and over again. I will hold fast to you in love. I will call out to you. I will put my trust in you. Charles Spurgeon says this. You know he's a man of God that we all, you know, all churches have looked up to in the past. So, kind of ponder this. But he says this: the blessings here promised are not for all believers. Basically, what I think he's saying is you can't just check off a religious box and say I'm good. I just pray the sinner's prayer. I'm good. This is what he says, the blessings here promised are not for all believers, but for those who live in close fellowship with God. Every child of God looks toward the inner sanctuary and mercy seat, but all do not dwell in the most holy place. They run to it at times and enjoy occasional approaches, but they do not habitually reside in his presence. This is something that convicted me mightily is that this um, verse of he who dwells, that word dwell in the Hebrew, it means to live, it means to reside, but it physically means to sit down. So whenever in the Old Testament it talks about someone uh, sitting down in his house or sitting down in the the tent, that's the word. Or you think about... uh, You know, Isaiah 6, for example, God is high and lifted up, seated, right? That's the word. How many of us can truly say that we sit under the shelter of the Lord? For myself, I will kind of run to God whenever I'm in trouble, (laughs) or I will run to God whenever it's convenient for me, but the Lord convicted me is, I don't think I know, I don't think I've learned to sit in his shelter, I will stand there, and then I will go off to do my own thing. I will stand there, and I'll go off to, and and I want to share a personal testimony this, is we need to come to the place of sitting under the protection of the Lord, and not choosing him when it seems good, and then choosing my own way when that seems good too. See, um, I think the Lord really put this on my heart because, uh, I won't go into the details really, but um, so my wife had the amazing opportunity, and it was just such a privilege. From October to about uh, March of this past year, we had the opportunity to foster two uh, teenagers, and uh, they were just uh, just the most brave, courageous, beautiful individuals, um, and, and I, I, we would not trade that experience for anything else. And we're praying that hopefully the Lord will, uh, once we have our first child, that the Lord will um, allow us to to do that again. Not teenagers at first. Um, But, you know, maybe starting with infants with our own newborn. Um, But, you know, because of the various circumstances, I'll put it this way. Because of the various circumstances that these two teenagers faced, uh, there were many difficulties and trials that us four kind of faced, um, you know, as kind of a family unit. And there were times where just there was a lot of emotional turmoil. Like the work itself wasn't so difficult. You know, they would go to school and all that. But just the emotional pressure for all of us. And during that time, there's two ways that I took refuge. One was a good way and one was a bad way. So uh, during that time, um, I've never experienced another time in my life where where I've learned about taking refuge in prayer. It was just the first time in my life where there is literally nothing I could do to make anything better, <laughs> not even one percent better. Like, my personality is, if I see a problem, then I try to figure out the solution to how I, I could make this work. With those situations that we faced, there was nothing I could do. And at the time, I was reading Hudson Taylor's biography. Uh, it's, it's so good, I highly recommend it. He, he had such a heart for the nations. He had such a heart for, you know, he was so willing to suffer for God. But the, the one thing that I got from that book was that above all, he was a man of prayer. Every single situation, every even the tiniest little ones about finance or first response is to kneel and pray. So I started, God started to grow that in my heart where every single time I felt emotionally well, that's the whole point. It's actually not every single time, but a lot of times I would I would come before the Lord and say, God. There is nothing in my power that I can do. If you don't come through on this, there's, 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 I don't know what's going to happen. And so that was going on. And, and praise be to God, it's the highest proportion of answered prayers I've ever seen in my life. I mean, prayer after prayer after prayer was answered in miraculous ways. But at the same time, the other way that I was taking refuge... <laughs> was whenever I was feeling down or sad or emotionally beat up, I would just turn on a YouTube video just to make myself laugh, just to kind of find some sort of outlet. And I didn't notice it at the time, but I realized after, you know, the, the teams, uh, praise be to God, they, they got to go on to other things like uh, as it was planned and everything worked out. So when uh, Danielle and I were empty nesters again, <laughs> I started realizing, like, wow, like, every single stress I, like, if I have a stressful day, I'll just watch a YouTube video, like a stupid YouTube video, just to make me laugh. And, and the Lord began to show me that during that time that I had learned to kind of self-medicate with entertainment rather than taking him as my refuge. And it's been a process of healing for me, but I believe that there's many of us that can relate with that this morning. You know, we have many different challenges that look very different. You know, whether it's finances, whether it's stress at work, you know, whatever it may be, whether, whether it's depression or sickness. But there's also many ways in which we decide to take refuge in something other than the refuge of the Lord. We might just try to always talk with friends. Maybe if I just talk to the right person, that will solve all my problems. Or maybe if I just go to enough Christian conferences, that will solve my problem. Or maybe if I just put my head down and work 70 hours a week and just try to make the finances work, maybe that will be the solution. I mean, we have all different kinds of strategies to protect ourselves and to shield ourselves. And some of those things might not be bad, but... You just let the Holy Spirit speak to you, and he will reveal those areas in your heart where you're putting false hope in a false shelter. Whether it, again, it might, whatever it might be, you might put false hope in your future plans. You know, right now my life is difficult, but I'm, I, I think I'm working towards a better future. Whatever it may be, and my prayer for us this morning is that the Lord will, will speak to our hearts and show us you're going after, you know, in, in Jeremiah 2, it talks about how uh, God has two things against the Israelites. Number one, they abandoned the fountain of living water from the Lord. And number two, they went after broken wells. They went after broken sources of water. And I believe that the Lord this morning, instead of resting in his peace, there's, there's moments in our lives on a daily basis where we choose to take peace in something else. We choose to protect ourselves in something else other than taking refuge in the Lord. And my prayers that the Holy Spirit would speak right into the core of our being. Where are we taking refuge? Where is my hope? Where is my comfort? Where is my joy? If it's anything other than the shelter of the Most High God, it is bound to fail and it's bound to disappoint. But if we as a community learn to dwell in His shelter, we're going to be transformed to that place of abiding under His shadow where we can sing under the shadow of His wings. And just sing for joy and say, God, I am so happy to be here under your shelter. It's so much better than anything else that I could choose. And so, it might look different for different ones of us. Um, but just some practicals. You know, for me, it was prayer. One of the things that I struggle with is just the worrying cycle. <laughs> As if just kind of worrying about it and playing through the situation in my head that that's going to make things better. It's not. You can't even add one hour to your life by worrying, right? So for me, it was do I choose to pray? Do I choose to take refuge in the Lord by prayer? Or do I choose to worry in this endless cycle, right? Or for some of us, it might be do I choose to. To listen to the wisdom of the word of God? Or do I choose to just go by what I think is, makes sense? Or do I choose to obey the word of God? Or do I choose to compromise? Right? How am I taking shelter? Do I choose to, you know, for some of us, our outlet is just complaining and gossiping. Like, oh, this is so frustrating. You just complain. Do I choose to take refuge by worshiping God and giving thanks to him in all circumstances? Or do I just continue to grumble and complain? And and so let's actually, um, if we could maybe have Asaph or Will come up, we'll just have a time of reflection. Uh, Just to, again, I just feel that just spirit of peace over us, just washing over us. I think about, you know, the book of Isaiah, come all who are thirsty, come. Why do you you labor for that which does not satisfy? We're in this kind of constant laboring, this constant working, constant where's my food going to come from, where's my money going to come from? And just the spirit of peace this morning is saying, come, learn from me. I am lowly and gentle in heart. Take my yoke upon you. Learn to rest in me. Learn to take refuge in me. I will protect you. I will shield you. I will. My faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. I will cover you with my wings. I will cover you with the feathers of my wings. But just to have a simple time of reflection, um, just ask the Lord, number one, what is the kind of fake or what is the false way that I'm taking refuge in something else? You know, you don't have to make it about a million different things, but what is that one shelter that you always run to? You know, is, it, is it work? Is it, it maybe even your spouse? Is it worrying? Is it fear? What is that one? So just ask the Lord. Lord, what's that one thing that when I get stressed, I get worried, what's that one thing that I take shelter in? And then number two, teach me, Lord, to take refuge in you. How do you want me to sit in your shelter and to rest in your presence? I'll just uh, read this quote. I love this uh, Jonathan Edwards resolution. I know, you know, later on in life he was questioning some of them, but. He says this thing, he says, I resolve to declare my ways to God. Lay open my soul to him. All my sins, temptations, difficulties, sorrows, fears, hopes, desires, and everything and every circumstance. We don't need to hide our fear from the Lord. We don't need to hide our need from the Lord. I do this thing where I feel like ashamed sometimes about asking the Lord for finance. But it's not better to try to do it myself. So let's just open up our hearts to the Lord. I'm worried about this. I'm feeling stressed about this. I'm feeling emotionally broken about this. Let's be honest to him. And let him reveal to us, number one, how are we taking shelter in something else? And number two, Lord, teach me what does it look like for me practically to take shelter, to, to, to sit down there and just plant myself in the shelter of the Lord. So we'll just take a few minutes.